All right, well, if you will turn in your Bible with me to 1 Timothy 6, we will uh, bring our generosity and uh, the, the generosity of God and the freedom to live generously. That series will bring it to a close today. 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we'll look at uh, 3 through 19, I believe. It's on page 1265, if you can use one of the Bibles that we have underneath the chair in front of you. 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 19. Hear now God's holy and true word. The Apostle Paul writes, Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. As for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign the King of kings and Lord of lords, who will alone, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life this is the word of the lord let's pray father we uh, are so thankful for your word and the way that it continually reminds us of how much you love us and how you are always seeking our good and how you have plans for us and how, most of all, Lord, you have sent your one and only Son to die in our place, to give us his righteousness so that by faith, by grace through faith, we could be fully reconciled to you. We we praise your name, Lord, and, and we pray now that as we look into your word in several different places, Uh, particularly as we focus on the amount of money you would have us give to be generous, 
We pray that you would give us peace in our hearts and excitement to experience what it is you have in store for us as a church. And also help us to understand the gospel more deeply, that we would be better equipped to run with it to our neighbors and to the nations. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're going to finish this this sermon series that we've been focusing on, the generosity of God and the freedom to live generously. Next week we're going to jump into an eight-week series on the book of Habakkuk. And uh, I'm excited about that. Um, And so we'll get there next week. Today, as we uh, bring this sermon series basically kind of to a close, I should say that, because we are going to revisit this topic again in the spring and look at a couple more aspects of God's generosity as well as our freedom to live generously. But for now, we'll finish up talking about basically what it looks like to be generous with our money, which is everybody's favorite topic. So, um, But fortunately, the Word of God has lots of things for us to see and to embrace uh, and, uh, and to grow into. So, um, want to just remember a couple things. want to remind you of a couple things that we've been thinking about as we've moved through this series together. Uh, number one, that generosity is something God wants for us, not from us. He is so generous. That's one of the things we've seen in the series. And he wants the joy that he gets from being very generous for us to have. He wants us to have that same joy. And so that's a key thing. The generosity is not something he wants from us. It's something he wants for us. We talked about generosity being a lifestyle uh, in which we share all that we have, all that we are, and all that we ever will become as a demonstration of God's love and a response to God's grace. Now that might sound a little radical, but technically the gospel really frees us to really see everything that we have as available uh, for the kingdom. And last week we talked about how God has promised that we can be generous and he will provide. Okay, what an amazing picture, this great promise that he gave us in his word where it's we, we are free to be generous because he is going to provide so that we can be generous. We will be enriched in every way so that we can be generous in every way. He really wants this for us because of the joy that he knows that it will bring to us. So those are some things, some key things for us to remember as we move into this ever so uh, difficult topic of our, our money. And the question we're going to kind of get a fix on today is how much? How much should we be giving in order to be generous with our money, to live generously with our money? And here's what I think we can say uh, if based on Scripture. Uh, we can say this, that faith in Christ frees us to live generously by considering our income, others' needs, and God's leading. And I'm going to unpack this. Uh, we're going we're to look at several different things this morning that I think will help us to see that these are very clearly taught in the, in the Scriptures. Faith in Christ frees us to live generously by considering how much we have coming in and the needs that we're aware of as well as God's leading in our life. And, and what's amazing is this really puts us in position to give joyfully and then experience the joy of giving. And so it's really about double joy. Okay, that's what God wants for us when we think about these things. Um, if you're making an outline, we're going to talk about basically three things. I want to talk about money and generosity in the Old Testament and then money and generosity in the New Testament and then money and generosity in the early church uh, to see this 
reality of, of living generously by considering our income, others' needs, and God's leading. So let's take a look. What, what about money and generosity in the Old Testament? Uh, you don't have to write all this down. I can make this available to you. But I just want to give you a snapshot of what it looked like for the people of God in the Old Testament time. What were they doing? And many of you are familiar with the fact that in the Old Testament, they gave tithes. The word tithe is it's a tenth. And so they would give 10 percent. What's interesting, though, is if we really look at what the scriptures say in Leviticus 27 and Numbers 18, Deuteronomy 14, places like this, we see that they didn't only give one tenth one time, but technically they would give a tenth at least twice a year. And then every three years they would give another tithe. And if you balance that over three years, it's really about a third. And so technically they were in the practice of tithing. They were giving more like 23.3 percent, which is very interesting. Um, and then on top of that, they, they gave these first fruit offerings as well. We see that in Exodus 23, Exodus 34, Leviticus 19, Numbers 15. And the, the first fruit offerings were every time that they would basically have a harvest, they would give the first and best of those things to the work of God. Uh, they also had free will offerings on top of that. We see that in Exodus 35, Exodus 36, Deuteronomy 12. And these were given when there was a surplus in recognition that God is the one who's providing for them. They would give out of a surplus these free will offerings. Um, another thing that's interesting about the Old Testament Kelly Capick in his book, God So Loved, he gave, uh, he points out that in the Old Testament, only those who owned property in the promised land actually tithed. And he also says that the tithe applied only to crops and livestock. And therefore, the, one of the ways that we would understand is basically if they didn't have income, then they were not expected uh, to participate in the tithe and perhaps maybe not even in the offerings. But that's an interesting thing for us to look at as we're considering what the scriptures teach us about our money and giving our money and being generous. Um, where did the tithes and offerings go? What did they do with them? The short answer would be that they, they provided for the priests. Uh, if you are familiar with the Old Testament, they did not have any land. They didn't have, they didn't really have any possessions or any way to make money to provide for themselves. So the tithe was part of how they would provide for the priests. They also used a significant amount of the money brought in to provide for the poor. I love that. I mean, you see, the heart that God has for the poor all through the Old Testament and part of the tithes and offerings were to ensure that the poor would be cared for. And then also celebrations and festivals. They they spent a decent amount of money celebrating God and, and who he is and that he was their God. And they were uh, uh, commanded to celebrate uh, those things together. So uh, they, they had parties. So basically it's for the priests and the poor and to have parties. I mean, that's kind of what it was all about. Um, and obviously, most of all, to recognize that everything that they have is from God and for God. But that's kind of a snapshot of the Old Testament. And then let's move into the New Testament. OK, in the New Testament, what's interesting is we see how they gave, but we don't see how much. Which is what makes it challenging for us to zero in on the amount that we believe God would have us give. As individuals or as households. Okay. We see how much, but we don't necessarily, or we see how they gave, but we don't necessarily see how much. Now, you gotta turn to 1 Corinthians 16, uh, 1 through 4 with me. This is really such a sweet verse or passage, just packed with practical information on what God would have us do as far as how we should be giving. Um, 
So 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4, it's on page 1223. Uh, you can turn there and, and, and read along. It's very interesting what we see in just this short little passage. So he says, verse 1, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. So right there what you see is that Paul was teaching that there's to be a collection for the saints, meaning the believers. Okay, that when you see the word saints in the scriptures, it's talking about the believers. And so what you can see is that churches were supposed to have collections. They were supposed to do it in Corinth. They were supposed to do it in Galatia. Everybody, all churches all over the world have a practice of collecting. And this is part of why we do. So what does it say uh, also? Look at verse 2. It says, On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, then they will accompany me. So we've got a bunch of things we can see here, uh, practically speaking, some principles that God gives to us. So number one, you can see that they gave regularly. Okay, look again at verse two on the first day of every week. So one of the principles for giving, we want to know how to give is giving regularly. Okay, now, and some would say that you don't necessarily have to give every week that uh, maybe if you get paid every month, you give every month or something like that. But nonetheless, there's definitely a clear picture of giving regularly. And what's what's interesting about that is it's good for the organizations that we give to. Keep in mind, we've said during the sermon series that if you do feel God leading you and freeing you up to be more generous, that doesn't have to come here. You can give anywhere you want. If you feel like being more generous with your money, you, you can give to other uh, another church. You could give to a parachurch organization. You could give to a missionary. But what's interesting in the, the, the principle of giving regularly is it's really good for the organizations that we give to. Because any missionary or any parachurch organization will tell you that the more regularly the givers give, the easier it is for them to manage their budget. And all the crew people are like, yes. <laughs> but that's a principle in the scriptures, right? That we should give regularly. It's good for the organizations that we give to. It's also good for your heart. Because it's a regular reminder that you don't trust in money, you trust in God. Okay, that you're free from the love of money because of uh, Christ's work on our behalf. So you give regularly. They gave regularly. Uh, next, they gave universally. Verse two, uh, he says, each of you is to put something aside and store it up. Each of you. Now, I have a little asterisk next to the word universally because it's possible that the principle from the Old Testament that you didn't tithe, if you didn't have an income, that might carry through. So perhaps if you don't have income, that would mean that it's you're free to use what you have to live on. Uh, but technically, uh, other than that, there's really no reason why we as Christians wouldn't see this principle as being very important. That everyone who's following Christ would see that we are to give. Each of us is to give, with possibly the exception of those who are without employment in current, or currently. So that's interesting. Everybody gave at least something. Well, how much? The next thing he says, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. And what that means is we're to give proportionally. What that means is as we Think about what God would like us to give. What is he calling us to give of our money? The amount of money that we have coming in as we may prosper is very important. Okay, that we would think about how much we have available to us, how much is coming into us, that that would factor heavily in 
uh, how we decide to give to whatever organizations we're giving to or the church or the parachurch or whatnot. Okay, that we would give proportionally. We'll talk a little bit about more about that in a minute. Uh, also, look, uh, they, we could say we should say that they gave voluntarily. Verse three is very interesting. Very interesting. This is awesome. He says, and when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. Now, here's what's so amazing about that. So he's talking about collecting, right? Everybody putting something aside, everybody putting something proportionally to what their income is. And what he says then after that is he calls it your gift. Which is really amazing because it's actually the Greek word charis, which we translate in other places as grace. He is saying that when we give, we are to give and see it as us being gracious, just like God has been gracious to us. That's where generosity really flows from. It's from the recognition that God has sent Christ to fulfill the law. He sent Christ to die in our place. He sent Christ to redeem us fully. That if our faith is in Christ, then all our sins are forgiven. We've been declared righteous. And God has promised to permanently love us and cherish us, take care of us. All these amazing things we've received from God by Grace is what empowers us to then turn and say, I, 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 that's been done for me. I want to do that for others. I want to give grace. Anyone who has received grace and knows it loves to turn and give it away as well. And so that's what's so cool about this is it's rooted in the gospel. It's rooted in what Christ has done for us. We give our grace because grace has been given to us. And so it has to be voluntary is what we're, what we see there. It's, it's something that, that we want to do, not that we feel compelled to do. God was not obligated to save anyone, but he did it out of grace. And so when we give, it's not about feeling obligated, but it's feeling we want to because of what Christ has done for us. And he echoes this, uh, this thought of giving voluntarily, voluntarily or even cheerfully in second Corinthians nine, seven, you'd have to turn there. I'll read it. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, talking about another collection, he says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Why does God love a cheerful giver? Because the only way we give cheerfully is when we're giving out of what, has, what God has done for us, when we're, when we're celebrating the grace he has shown to us in Christ, and then we give out of the joy of that. That's how you give cheerfully, and that's how God wants us to give. That's why he loves a cheerful giver, not somebody that feels compelled. I have to do this or else, but rather I'm so amazed at what God has done for me. I want to do that for others in whatever ways I can. Okay. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. That's what Paul says in second Corinthians nine. They also gave compassionately. And here's what I mean by that. They, they gave in recognition of. Of need. I mean, it's really amazing. You can turn there if you want, but I'm going to read these verses. Uh, Acts 2 and Acts 4. We see two different places where in, uh, in the book of Acts where we see these first Christians, they're, they're, they're giving like crazy and it's all tied to need. Listen. Acts 2.45. Uh, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And then uh, Acts 4, 34 and 35. 
There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Isn't that amazing? So they were not only giving cheerfully, but they also were giving with a very, very clear sense of the amount of need around them and their desire to meet those needs. Um, then they gave sacrificially. And you, I, I do want you to turn uh, to 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5 with me. It's on page 1230 if you're using one of our big blue Bibles. I want you to see this because here is, it's, it's, this is a shocker when you really think about this. Uh, you see a group of Christians who are basically living in poverty, begging Paul to let them give for other Christians who are in need of relief. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. Amazing. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of The saints, meaning other Christians. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. The Bible is very clear about not living beyond your means because the borrower is slave to the lender. But there also is this really interesting dynamic where while we don't want to live beyond our means, we actually are free to give beyond our means. And you want to be careful with that. Right. I mean, we have families, we have people that are depending on us, but there's this very interesting freedom for us to give sacrificially. Okay, that's what we see there. And again, the only way you would imagine that the Corinthians were able to do this is because Paul also had taught them what we talked about last week. Second Corinthians 911, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. That's how they do that, right? They know that they're free to give even sacrificially because God will provide for them. He will make sure that their needs are are met. And so it is absolutely amazing to see that they also gave sacrificially. So they gave regularly, they gave universally, they gave proportionally, they gave voluntarily, compassionately, and sacrificially. Now here's the question that uh, is, is challenging. Uh, did they tithe? And that's a really interesting question. Are Christians supposed to tithe, meaning are they supposed to give 10%? Is that principle from the Old Testament still uh, in force today? And I have uh, looked at this all week long. I've, I've learned some things. And here's what I think I can say. I, I know I can say by conscience, I can say at least this. There is no command to tithe in the New Testament. Okay. However, there is, as we've already seen, there's clearly a call to give proportionately So you would give in proportion to what you have been given. And I think what what I will say about this is is this, that there are many, many, many Christians throughout all of church history from the very beginning of the church to today and many people in our church that do believe that the principle of giving 10 percent, that's where generosity begins. Uh, There are many who believe that and hold that conviction. And if you do, praise the Lord, that's good. Act upon it. However, I feel like I need to be 
clear about the fact that all through church history and today, there are people who don't believe that the 10% number is still binding on all people. Some would say that 10% is way too low for some people. Okay, so why do I say this? I'm not trying to uh, convince you of one way or the other. What I am trying to say is I think that it's really important that we are a church where on debatable matters, there is freedom to operate according to conviction. And there are people in this church who, by conviction, believe that you give at least 10%. But there's also people who, by conviction, don't believe there's any specific percentage for everyone. So we want there to be freedom and we do not want to judge each other. And just in case you're saying, well, you're saying that because you don't want to give 10%. uh, Hannah and I have given at least 10%. Currently, we give well over that with excitement about giving even more. But I just want to be straight up about the fact that there's debate on that issue. So let's let's allow God to be the Lord of the conscience. And if that's your conviction, then go for 10 or more. If it's not your conviction, you are still called to be generous. Okay, you have to determine what that may be. And so Chuck Swindoll, who I don't quote very often, but he did say um, something really uh, good on this lines. Here's what he says. He says, how and why we give is far is of far greater significance to God than what we give. Attitude and motive are always more important than amount. Furthermore, once a person cultivates a taste for grace in giving, the amount becomes virtually immaterial. And what he's getting at is the more that we see how free we are to be generous, we're probably going to wind up giving way more than we ever thought we would anyway. Out of joy and out of freedom. And so so that's an important thing for us to understand. Because the reality is this is what the gospel does. The gospel helps us to see that God has not required anything of us to be reconciled to him. That he's given us for free salvation by grace through faith. All because of what Christ has done. And what that does is that flips the way we view our money. Even it flips the way we view giving. Instead of we're always thinking, well, I should probably give more. I should probably give more. I should probably give more. It turns it so that we start saying, you know what? I'm free to keep less. And now I'm free to keep even less. And now I'm free to keep even less. It's about living in that freedom we have to live on less and give more away, considering people's needs, considering what we have coming in. And that's how we end up being cheerful givers. And I'll tell you where we see some cheerful givers (laughs) in the early church. Uh, I want to show you this from the fourth century. Um, This is really amazing. These these Christians in Rome in the fourth century, they were giving so much that their generosity changed their city, challenged the culture and channeled people to Christ. Okay, Amazing. A picture of people so free to keep less and just give away according to people's needs. Absolutely amazing. So if you have never read the book, The Rise of Christianity by Rodney Stark, I highly recommend it. It's a really cool book. And uh, in that book, he gives us a picture of the way people in the fourth century in Rome were giving so much that it was changing things. Listen to this. He says, in the fourth century, the Emperor Julian launched a campaign to institute pagan charities in an effort to match the Christians. I mean, how cool is that, right? I mean, our culture, we're, we're so, uh, we get so ingrained with keeping up with the Joneses. And in the fourth century, the emperor of Rome is saying, we've got to keep up with the Christians. And they're giving. 
It's madness. Start a charity already, he says to his underlings. He complained in a letter in the year 362 that the pagans needed to equal the virtues of Christians for recent Christian growth was caused by their moral character and by their benevolence towards strangers. So that the way they were, they were their giving was evangelistic. Okay, he also said uh, their, their, their moral character, even if pretended. So he thought they were faking it. But nonetheless, he was well aware that the Christian church in Rome was exploding because people were very drawn to these people who give so much away. In another letter, he wrote, I think that when the poor happened to be neglected and overlooked by the pagan priests, the impious Galileans, what a badge. I love that. That's what he called them. The impious Galileans. He's talking about the Christians. Uh, the impious Galileans observed this and devoted themselves to benevolence. The impious Galileans support not only their poor, but ours as well. Everyone can see that our people lack aid from us. What a vision. Right? To be so free to keep so much less that it actually changes the city around us in some way. It actually challenges the culture and it actually channels people to consider the claims of Christ maybe a little more deeply because they don't understand how people can keep so little and give so much. It's amazing. We're talking about God liberating us. He's not just liberating, liberating us to be generous. He's liberating us to see how generosity always has a phenomenal impact, which is proven most of all at the cross. Because God's phenomenal generosity to give his son has impacted the entire world, especially us in this room and all other true believers around the world. So what do we do now? Right? I mean, we, we see how generous God is. We see how he wants us to, to trust him and to give and to, and we even see, have a vision for what it would be like if we really learned to keep less and give more and, and find joy in that. What do we do now? Here's what we want to do. We want to invite you to step forward in faith in being more generous or choosing to live more generously. And I want to, re- I want to remind you, I'm not just talking about you giving more here. That's one possibility. But uh, we want to challenge everybody to think about giving at least somewhere. Okay? So if you take your bulletin, take out your bulletin for me. Inside is a little card. Uh, and it says, in view of God's generosity toward me, I commit to pray and prepare for God's calling to live more generously. And then underneath that is 2 Corinthians 9.11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will, prov- will produce thanksgiving to God. So here's what we are wanting to invite you to do. Do not feel compelled to do this. This is simply if in the last five weeks you have begun to feel God moving on your heart and you want to act on it. If that is the case, which it is for me, which I'm excited about. If it's the case for you, then what we want you to do is check that box. And if the pen doesn't write on this cardstock, then just, you know, really kind of punch a hole in it or something. And, uh, and then what we want you to do, if you want to, is at the end of the service, uh, back with the deacons doing, collecting the deacons fund offering, there will also be people with baskets. You drop in the basket, or you drop your card in the basket. That's not burning on fire now, is it? Okay. Um, you drop this card in the basket. 
And then they give you one of these magnets, which basically says the same thing. You slap that magnet on your fridge and it's a reminder for you to pray. And then you spend the next three months really praying and thinking about what it would look like if you took a big step forward in keeping less. With the promise that if you do, God will provide. And if you do, it's guaranteed it's going to transform you. It's what happens. And we are very big on gospel transformation because we know Jesus is very big on transforming us. And so so that's what we want to do. Hand the card in. And that's just so we keep track of how many people are committing to pray. Okay, that's that's the only reason you're handing that in. You don't have to put your name on it. Then you get your magnet, put your magnet on your fridge, pray. We'll remind you we're going to give you some resources between now and the new year, because the hope would be that in the new year is when we all take that step forward together. So we'll give you some resources between now and then. One of the things that we have is we've assembled a team of people who are really good at financial planning and they've agreed to generously give you time where they will sit with you and help you figure out your budget or whatever you need in order to figure out how you can keep less give more and experience the joy of generosity and so we will uh we will be providing all sorts of things as much as we can because we are so sure that living more generously will result in more joy in your walk with christ and in your life that we really want to invite you to take this step of faith with us to do the math to consider your income to consider the needs of others and prayerfully ask God to lead you into giving more generously. And then what, here's the last thing I want to say. What if? What if years from now, many, many, many of us can look back and say that it was in 2016. 2016 was the year that, that we really grappled with our hearts and the liberating grace of God We took a pretty big step of faith. And we grew spiritually more than we had in a long time. What if that would happen? And what if that would produce a ridiculous amount of joy? Let's pray. Father. How sweet. That you love a cheerful giver. How sweet. Wonderful that you want us to give. Because of the grace that we've received. How amazing that you want us to be generous because we'll like it. (laughs) I pray for every single one of us, Lord. May everyone turn in the card, commit to praying, figure things out. And may we see a burst of generosity in the new year. And may we celebrate that generosity, no matter where the the money goes. We want to celebrate you transforming us to be more like your son. Who gave it all. So that we could have it all by grace, through faith. It's in Jesus name that we pray. Amen.